Welcome to Generously Speaking, a podcast series developed by Capital Development Services, where we hear from area philanthropists, foundation executives, corporate leaders, and others who share their experience, insights, and ideas on the nature of generosity and philanthropic giving. Here are your hosts, Alan Burroughs and Claire Jordan. A favorite quote of our next guest reads, A man simply pursues his vision of excellence through whatever he is doing and leave others to determine whether he is working or playing. To himself, he always appears to be doing both. This describes our guest Damon Sarcosta to a T. Damon is executive director of the A.J. Fletcher Foundation and has been so since 2012. We're excited to have Damon's insights, values, and optimism to share with you today during these times. That's why we here at CapDev are launching this podcast. We are actually bringing thought leaders in the nonprofit sector directly to you since you cannot come to them. We want to highlight generosity and speak with those who can help share your stories of great philanthropy. In addition to the audio on our podcast recording, you can also access episode notes on these conversations on our website at capdev.com slash podcasts. So let's get started talking with Damon. Damon, welcome to Generously Speaking. Thanks for having me, Alan. It's good to be here and good to hear Claire's voice as well. Just let me add, the whole CapDev team appreciates your willingness, your time to talk about insights and advice to the sector during these hard and sort of seemingly ever-changing times. So thank you for your time today. We're talking to a lot of folks who've got a great sort of visual of across the landscape, particularly in North Carolina, South Carolina, others. And for you and the A.J. Fletcher Foundation, specifically your great lens of looking at really a statewide for quite some time. What are you and the A.J. Fletcher Foundation, what's your general advice to not-for-profits right now during this time? Well, I think the first thing is, if ever you did not believe that the nonprofit sector has value, that went out the window three weeks ago. Watching the nimble and flexible manner in which nonprofits do their work has been awe-inspiring. Philanthropy is a little bit different, but our on-the-ground operating nonprofits are very capable at moving quickly and filling gaps in a way that just does warm your heart. Uh, I think like all of us, it feels like our anthill just got kicked, that our colony has been upset and everybody's scrambling to figure out the short-term reaction to that coronavirus boot. The next phase, the rebuilding the colony phase, is I think where philanthropy can play a very key role in lifting up new ways of thinking about how our society is structured and lifting up new ways and how we go about delivering direct service, as well as changes to policy. Like everybody, I oscillate between bewildered, fearful, nervous, to extraordinarily optimistic. In the early days of what we're seeing, you know, one chart will tell you that it's doomsday tomorrow, and another chart will tell you that it's going to be okay in a matter of weeks, and nobody really knows because that's the way the world works when you have something new happening. But as I sit here this morning and today, I'm proud of the nonprofit sector. I'm encouraged by what they've been able to do in such a short amount of time. And I'm excited about the role that the entire sector can play in the the months and frankly, years to come. We totally agree about the power of the sector and thinking about its opportunities, both, as you said, their nimbleness, their flexibility. What have you seen specifically, or how have you been communicating to your grantees and to the sector as a whole, but have you seen some of an action? I think of things like food banks, homeless shelters that have to be quick and nimble. Those are front lines of particularly dealing with the most distressed. But have you seen those in your eyes as the head of the A.J. Fletcher Foundation? Well, certainly. And we've been in constant contact with all of our grantees. I came across a quote recently 
It's by a guy named Lennon. Most of my quotes come from a guy named John Lennon. You know, all you need is love. But this one comes from the other Lennon, but I thought it was especially appropriate today. The quote is that there are decades when nothing happens, and then there are weeks where decades happen. Mm. And we're one of those weeks where decades are happening right now. So I've been trying to keep a light touch communicating with our grantees and letting them go about doing their work, but they've all pivoted in phenomenal ways. I'm talking about the work of the Southeast Raleigh Promise, which is the quarterback organization here in Raleigh, North Carolina. They've been playing a fundamental and key role in trying to just keep the lines of communication open and clear and coordinated so we don't get duplicative services. We don't get people running around with a lot of energy and enthusiasm and not a lot of direction. Talking to some of our more specific direct service providers, like the folks at Oak City Cares, which is a day shelter here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, They're working on all sorts of things that they've been working on for the months they've been open and now pivoting that directly to responses to coronavirus. The fine folks at uh, Healing Transitions, which is an addiction recovery homeless shelter here, have to be thinking about how close proximity their clients are and how to keep their staff safe. So everybody's reacting in a different way. I could give you chapter and verse on all the specific things that folks are doing, but what I'm really seeing is this general notion of we can do this, that we're here, we're showing up to work on, to get things done. It really does. It it warms your heart. So from the foundation perspective, not everybody has a grant open right now or a project that they're working on that you've funded, but of those that do or those that you've funded in the past, have they outreached to contact you or have you been making connections that you instigate? I'm just curious about their connections with foundations. Well, so one of the things that we did, you know, the AJ Fletcher Foundation is always curious about new projects and starting new programs and, and working on on new things. When this started to get very real a couple of weeks ago, we called up everybody we were in conversation with and said, let's hit the pause button. Uh, we're not looking at trying to start anything new. We're not looking to have you spend your time and resources interfacing with a foundation right now. So we shut down all of our current conversations with new folks. We then went and started having conversations with all of our existing grantees. And the message from our foundation is, we're here, but you don't need to be spending your time making sure that we're feeling okay. We're fine. We're here if you need us. And so far, everybody's in this early phase where they're just getting the work done. Mm -hmm. And it's been long days for all of them. I imagine that the Fletcher Foundation and most foundations similar to us will be doing our real work over the next six to 24 months. All of these folks are burning through their operating reserves. All these folks have to learn how they're going to stay afloat. Many of the people who do event-based fundraising have seen that evaporate overnight, and they don't know when that's going to come back. You guys know a lot about in the direct service philanthropy world, a big chunk of revenue comes from an annual gala or an annual event, and all of those have just been decimated. So I think the foundation's role, uh, our foundation and other foundations, is going to be making sure that when we get past this initial wave, How do we make sure these nonprofits that have been doing good work sometimes for decades can survive the economic changes that are certainly forthcoming? I think that's really generous thinking on Fletcher's part. And I think other foundations are doing likewise from what we hear. We don't know all of them. I'm curious about the throwing out the rule book a little bit that happens right now and adjustments that people are willing to make in being generous right now and what that impact is on your lasting programming and how you communicate and work with grantees. It would be premature of me to forecast exactly what Fletcher's going to do. I am really 
fortunate and blessed to work in an organization who's been throwing out the rule book since 1947, right? I mean, we are the type of folks who have not ever been into bureaucratic philanthropy. So for us, it's almost just another day. We'll figure out what we need to do and move forward. Our chair of the board of directors, a guy by the name of Jim Goodman, it's been fascinating to, to watch him work. His first question is always, okay, what are the facts? What's actually happening? Let's get to the bottom of it. And then his second question is always, how can we help? I've been here eight years and that's been our modus operandi the whole time. So that's what we'll do. We'll continue to, to find out what the facts are and then we'll find out how we can help. I don't know what that looks like right now. I have no idea what that specifically looks like. But I do know that as a species, we are some very clever monkeys and we've gotten through a lot of stuff. And I really see us being able to figure out how to get through the other side of this. And then it won't be business as usual, but it certainly will be an opportunity for a lot of good things to happen, even though there's tremendous amounts of worry about all the bad things that are going to happen. That's both generous and flexible comment and response, especially with Jim Goodman's wording there too. And I want to shift you a little bit in that flexibility just on a personal note, because I think this is of interest to people too. In this new style of working, we've all been on the road, we've all traveled, and now we're home. And you are a good fitness buff. I know you stay in shape and you have unique workouts at times. Would you share a little bit of how you keep yourself feeling good mentally, physically strong through these times and how you find flexibility? I'm doing a little bit of yoga, maybe some different things than I used to do in the gym, but I think we have to all keep ourselves sharp in those ways too. So any advice there for people? Yeah. And Claire, it's funny you mentioned yoga and physical flexibility can also note mental flexibility, just thinking about how we take care of our bodies in different ways. So uh, both from a diet and exercise perspective, things have changed a lot for me. On the exercise perspective, I'm looking over in my office right now, I've got a, a two by four plank and I'm doing a lot of balance work, right? You can do that inside and make sure that you're staying balanced. I wish I could say on the diet side that I've been increasing the nutrient density in my diet, but I have been increasing the joy in my diet. And so the <laughs> I've been eating, taking some liberties with making sure that I'm not beating myself up over how I take care of myself is important. It's been hard for me to think about how we take care of each other. And I think that what we're learning is, is that we have to go easier on ourselves. Generally speaking, it's okay if we don't get the perfect workout in and it's okay if our diet isn't perfect. It's okay to be okay, not being as okay. I've been a little slack in my former one glass of wine during the week role. <laughs> it's Claire, okay. I'm sure you're not the only one. There's a reason why they call it comfort food. That's right. <laughs> Damon, you translate something, and I think it's good words of wisdom to those who are listening, particularly nonprofit leaders. They're so passionate about what they do. They're so committed to it. They often work 24-7. They don't leave it. And sometimes it can drain them physically as well as mentally. And you just hit both of those points. Your encouragement to them at this juncture to take a pause, take a breath, if you will, as part of their recovery may be a great word of wisdom at a juncture where they're probably the highest stress they They've been in quite some time. You know, we've been having conversations as a society about what are essential services and what are non-essential services. And this has been in relation to where and how one gets their work done. It's been fascinating to me to recognize first that the nonprofit sector, which is often considered superfluous and not really necessary and, and icing on the cake, has found itself right in the middle of essentiality, if you can coin a term there, of society. 
And the second thing I think we're all learning is whether or not you're on the front lines of direct service, or if you're a restaurant worker, or if you're a healthcare worker, or if you're doing the work that we do at the foundation, all of us in our own way are essential to one another. And I don't think we were remembering that before this happened, Mm -hmm. that it really is going to hopefully get us thinking again about the need we all have for one another. Nonprofit sector folks, just generally speaking, people who go into this line of work have a helping mindset and a community orientation. I'm seeing it manifest itself in places outside of our sector. I'm seeing people think about the folks who work at the grocery store as not just some you know minimum wage worker who doesn't deserve our gratitude, but as a, a fellow human who's essential for our own existence and well-being. I have to say, I've gotten a little closer with the mailman recently. <laughs> we have actual conversations. I'll be out on my walk and see him making his rounds and just thank him for working. It makes a difference to people, that humanity that we connect in. And we're all so lucky on this call that we can do this work remotely. He can't. And he's out there exposing himself to a scary situation to make sure that we have what we need to get through our day. So it's there's power in that. There's good in that. And so true. There's a lot of, I know some of your grantees are health-related, education-related. I mean, you're, the gamut of who the A.J. Fletcher Foundation supports is pretty indicative of the frontliners that are dealing with this virus and this crisis already. So thank you for the support of particularly the infirm, the indigent, as well as the education. I know you've got homeschooling going on, and it's a different mindset, a different world that we're all having to participate in. You know, you see things around the internet about how if ever there were time to compensate our teachers accordingly, my goodness, we're all learning that lesson right now. It is really easy to denigrate or cast aside the value of teachers because our only memory of that is when we were students. And now that we're seeing the challenges that we have with maybe our own two children, and you multiply that by 20, and you see what our public school teachers are up to, and it makes you think, okay, these people are essential. You wonder why we have a debate on teacher pay. Right. And that, you know, you brought up all the great direct service work that's going on here. I want to make sure we don't forget some of the other aspects of the nonprofit universe, right? The folks who look to help shape public policy. Yes. And the folks who we support some nonprofit media ventures, the folks who are out there communicating information. Information is plentiful these days good information is hard to come by. And part of the nonprofit sector increasingly is sharing that sort of information. And so there's a lot of things to be done in the nonprofit sector, and it's heartening to watch them all work on it. On that note, we spoke with Gene Tedrow yesterday from the North Carolina Center for Nonprofits. And Gene and Damon and I have a small group we've assembled that we call a think tank of leaders around the state that are helping us before this all began, to address the question of access to communications for the sector. And Damon, I'd love to hear your thoughts on as we work to reconvene that group when we can all sit down together again, the need that's getting exposed through this process. When people conceive of what a nonprofit is, the immediate thing they go to is the good work that food banks do, or uh, charity hospitals do, or perhaps schools do. But the nonprofit sector also encompasses a whole bunch of other works, one of which is the advocacy piece that I mentioned earlier, but this new, more robust communication slash journalism piece. A lot of nonprofit news and information is uh, something that typically in years past was handled in the private sector. So it will be interesting to see how the, the sector communicates not only within itself, but to the broader public. I honestly don't know how that'll look 
but uh, I'm excited to have those conversations. You know, something you mentioned related to this communication piece and you mentioned earlier is, and I'm curious your perspective of what will we be learning out of these times? You know, you've already mentioned the exposure to the the inadequacy of teacher pay. We see what's happening with housing markets and who's going to be loan forgiven and who's not and who's going to be extricated from the housing and who's not. And so there's a lot of varying components. You mentioned earlier about communication and collaboration. Hopefully the lessons that we're learning are not temporary, but really become structurally sound within the policy making that goes forward at a regional state and even national level. I know A.J. Fletcher has been, like you said earlier, about supporting the media aspect of communication aspect and advocacy. I'm curious, do you see that or how do you envision that sort of transferring and taking place in this transition phase? Oh, Alan, it's, it's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer. In the world today, it's easy to say, well, this has never happened before right? People throw that term around all the time. And I think sometimes we come numb to the fact that when we have a situation like we do now, which has truly never happened before, none of us have witnessed anything close to this in our lifetimes. I think it lays bare exactly how capable we are as a society. The folks who were around during World War II saw wholesale changes to the way in which the world worked after that event. I think we're going to see wholesale changes to the way in which the world works after this event. Certainly, there'll be some return to normalcy. Uh, People will be able to go to sporting events and bars and restaurants and, you know, hug their friends. That will happen at some point. But the lessons we're learning now is it really is going to take all of us in order to do anything. And that things we thought were set in stone are really much more fluid than we once thought. Somebody recently said to me, the difficult times hopefully reveals our noblest selves. And I think there are pieces of that. And I think we see that in the mindset of volunteers or people, the frontliners and all that. I think like you, our job is how do we sort of bring permanency to not always necessarily because it's hard for anybody to always be our noblest selves. But how do we sort of ingrain some of that into our daily lives so that we don't lose this sort of connection point that oftentimes difficult times create in us. I think we find small steps from the Great Recession, from 9-11, things step up. And then t- as time improves, they tend to fall back into the background noise until times like this comes again. So your wisdom and thoughts and your sort of advice to the accounts, to the nonprofits, and to quite frankly, the private sector as a whole is let's hold on to some of these lessons that we're learning as best we can and make those changes so we're ready as best we can be the next time. I sometimes think I'm too Pollyanna-ish or too rose-colored glasses, and I don't want to diminish the tragedy that is what's going on right now. But I'm looking for the silver linings. I read something recently that gives me some some sort of hope. So if you look at the history of our species, which is 300,000 years, it's only in the last 10,000 years with the advent of agriculture that we've had wealth inequality. Agriculture beget the ability for some to have more and others to have less. And if you look at that 10,000 years, the only times you have a leveling off or an injection of equality into our society is post some horrible tragedy, a plague, a war, a mass migration. My heart sinks every time I think about what could happen in this situation and, and the human toll it can take. If I'm looking for silver linings, we've got an opportunity when we get through the other side of this to think about polarization and wealth inequality in ways in which we really might want to think about being with one another in different ways. Who knows what that does? We've never seen such such a, a global event like this. 9-11 was horrific. 
but it was horrific for a few thousand New Yorkers. The 2008 economic recession was tough, but it was financial in nature. It didn't require many and most of us to rethink about when we see our friends, whether or not we can give them a hug. We're into uncharted territory here, and it's going to be hard if we're doing our jobs right and we're all staying at home like we all are, and we can diminish some of that tragedy. I'm all for it. When we do get to the other side and we realize that our economy is going to need some work and reshaping, I'm hoping that it's the opportunity that has happened in over the last 10,000 years to rethink how we think about polarization and inequality. We have similar sentiments and we're just talking about the exposure of this inequity through this pandemic and can definitely see a future episode where we might want to talk more about how we go about balancing those scales a little bit and what that looks like for our sector's involvement. So we might want to revisit that one with you along those lines. I've been reading a book about Churchill. It's Eric Larson's newest book called The Splendid and the Vile. And I'm at the very end of it. I don't want it to end, but I want the war to end, you know. Um, And they had these people that he does this great research on, including so many quotes and details these people who wrote in their diaries during that time, they were called mass observation diarists, capital letters. That was their title. And they were all over the country in Britain at the time. And he quotes from many of them frequently. And I'm a journaler, so I pay attention to that. I write in my journal every day. And and I find that's a helpful thing to do, but in a normal life anyway, but especially now. And I think that a lot of what we're doing in this podcast is catching observations and sharing those. And we get to meet a lot of interesting people in our work. And so a lot of what we want to do is to be able to share these conversations with other people. So we call it generously speaking because we're talking about generosity. And we'd like to end with one of these questions to everyone we interview. We don't have to stop talking now, but I want to pose this question to you about an example of generosity that you've seen that sticks out to you right now. Any good, generous examples you want to share? Well, thank you for that. And and I I do have one. There's a, this is going to sound very, let them eat cake, but there's a local bakery right down the street. And one of the things that my daughter and I have been doing for the last year is on Saturday mornings, we get up, just me and her, and we go get a croissant. It's a small thing to be able to do that. The folks who are there at their bakery trying to make their living are showing up. They've revamped their whole thing to be compliant with all of the work we're supposed to be doing to remain socially distant. And I've been able to go out and have a brief moment with my daughter picking up those same croissants that we have because those folks are willing to show up and do all that type of work. I think that might end today. An order came down to change some of how that works. All that's to say is generosity doesn't always require a big check that a philanthropist can give. Generosity sometimes requires showing up and doing the job that you've been doing. I'm grateful for their generosity and their ability to show up and give me that little slice of normal in these very weird, weird times. Damon, we are so appreciative of you taking the time and what you do at AJ Fletcher and what you do personally through all the other volunteer service that we know you're involved with. Um, Not to mention the Board of Elections. Right. (laughs) Aren't you glad Super Tuesday is over? Yes, I am on the Board of Elections. And I I wanted to say this, which is not necessarily related to the nonprofit sector, but I think related to society at large and maybe related to my comments about just being able to have that normal interaction with our baker last week. We're going to have an election in November, and that election is going to have some changes to it than we've had in the past. But we also had an election in this country in the midst of the Civil War. So we're going to find a way to get it done. I have been so proud of the folks at the Board of Elections. Okay, These are what sometimes people derisively call government bureaucrats. But they're going to make sure that we as citizens get to exercise our job in a democracy 
which is to pick our leaders by doing all sorts of unimaginably smart and crafty things to get the vote to work. I'm looking very forward to voting in November. And we're going to have three vehicles in which to do that, like we always have. You know, have the option to go vote in person on election day. You're going to have the option to vote early during our early voting period. And you're also going to have the option to vote by mail, mail and absentee. And we got a lot of work to do between now and then to make sure all three of those funnels are wide open. But I'm excited about that return to normalcy this fall. And I'm really, really grateful for the generosity of all those those bureaucrats, which is now a, a positive term in my book for doing the work that they're doing. Damon, you've given a lot of lifelong services to the sector. So thank you for being with us on Generously Speaking. Thank you all. You've been listening to Generously Speaking from Capital Development Services, trusted advisors in philanthropy and executive search since 1984. Look for our podcast episode notes at capdev.com slash podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn.